This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Story of Jesus podcast series. Hello, I'm Mike Davis. And I'm Grace Smith. And we want to welcome you to this episode of the Deranged Story of Jesus podcasts. In this episode, we are bringing back three of our earlier guests to talk about their experiences of the most painful and disturbing part of the Jesus story. If you have heard some of our early episodes, you may remember our conversations with Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Clophis, and Simon Peter. We ask them here today to hold a panel discussion about what they witnessed and experienced during the events surrounding Jesus' arrest, crucifixion, and death. So without further conversation from us, we want to introduce Mary Magdalene, Mary the wife of Clophus, and Simon Peter. Welcome to all of you. And we are so grateful that you were willing to come back and speak to our listeners about what we are calling the worst part of the story of Jesus. And thank you for giving us your time and for sharing your firsthand accounts of what happened. We'd like to begin today with Mary Magdalene and hear her thoughts and feelings first about the terrible Friday when Jesus was tortured and put to death. Mary Magdalene, I'm sure remembering that day is not an easy or pleasant thing to do for any of you. But could you begin with your account of what happened when Jesus was being questioned by Pontius Pilate and Peter or Mary Clopas? If either or both of you have something you feel is important to add to Mary's account, please feel free to jump in wherever you think it would be helpful. Let me say first that it is wonderful to be here with you again and to be here with Mary and Peter. Well, that was a terrible day. I am more than happy to begin our conversation about it. After Jesus was brought to Pilate from his interrogation by Herod Antipas, many of us had gathered outside of the Praetorium on the pavement at the Antonia Fortress. I was there with Mary Clophis and Jesus' mother, Mary. Oh, that's right, dearie. As usual, our family from Nazareth had come up to Jerusalem for the Passover festival, and Mary, Jesus' mother, was with me. Mary is my sister-in-law, if you don't remember from when I was here before. She had come with us, but we didn't really know that Jesus was even going to be in Jerusalem for the Passover. Oh, my God, it was such a shock to find out that he had been arrested by the Romans. Mary, his mother, was so distraught, all she could do was wring her hands and weep as we watched all of these terrible things happening. Anschuldig, Mary, I'm so sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you. Mary, you have no need to apologize. I think it's very important to add your details to the story. Please don't hesitate to include your thoughts as we go along. 
Ah, Shane the Maidle, you are such a treasure. Please, go on with the story. It was early in the morning, and we were able to watch most of what was happening because none of the priests or others that were accusing Jesus could go into the governor's palace because being in the house of a Gentile would make them ceremonially unclean and unable to celebrate the Passover on that day. So Pilate came out to the pavement to talk with them. They accused Jesus of being a criminal and said he needed to be executed because he had called himself the king of the Jews. Pilate went back into the palace, and some soldiers brought Jesus to him. We couldn't see or hear what was happening, but after just a short time, Pilate came back out and said to the priest that he found no reason for any charge against Jesus. The priests and the people with them started arguing with the governor and saying that Jesus was a threat to both Rome and to Israel, and he needed to be crucified. Pilate argued back, but finally he said he would release Jesus. The priests and the people with them went crazy, screaming, No, not him! Give us somebody, anybody else! Then somebody in the crowd yelled, Give us Barabbas! And the crowd shouted, Give us Barabbas! (sighs) You have to understand that Barabbas was the worst kind of person you could ever imagine. He was a bandit, thief, a murderer, and an all-around terrible person. But the crowd kept on shouting, Give us Barabbas! Finally, Pilate walked back into the praetorium with the crowd still chanting. In a few minutes, a group of soldiers came out and grabbed Jesus and took him into the fortress. We were terrified, we were confused, and we couldn't even imagine what was going to happen. We didn't know what to do do. But we knew that none of us could leave until we found out what was going to happen next. In the meantime, the crowd was still chanting, and more and more people were gathering and joining in the chant. It was becoming an angry and hostile mob, and they were all angry with Jesus. Mary, Let me ask you to pause your story right here for just a few minutes while we ask Peter to share some of his experience and perspective of that day. Oh, certainly, Mike. I would be glad to give Peter the opportunity to share with everyone. I would really like to tell you my account of the things that happened to Jesus that day. But truthfully, I wasn't with him at the pavement or at the place where he was crucified. I didn't see all of the unspeakable things they did to him. Like the other 11 of us disciples, I was hiding because I was afraid that I would be arrested and crucified next. The last time I saw Jesus alive, my friend, 
my teacher, and the most important person in my life was being interrogated by that so-called high priest Caiaphas. But as I begin to tell you my experience, let me go back to the beginning of that Thursday night when it all started. Right after we had shared the Passover meal in an upper room at the house near the temple, Jesus said we should walk over to the Garden of Gethsemane. We left the house and started toward the garden together. Well, actually, we didn't all go together. I noticed Judas wasn't with us on the walk. It was a long walk across the Kidron Valley outside the city, but it was a pleasant night, and when we got to the garden, Jesus said for us to stay together and wait for him while he went off by himself to pray. He did that sort of thing often, so we didn't think much about it. We found some comfortable places to sit and relax while we waited. But just as he started to walk away, he did something that was kind of odd. He turned, looked at us, and said, Be sure to stay awake so you don't fall into temptation. After that, he walked away. None of us had any idea what he was talking about. But honestly, that wasn't very unusual. We assumed he'd explain it to us later. And that wasn't the only strange thing he said that night. While we were walking from the city to the garden, he said that all of us were going to let him down and leave him when he needed us the most. He said we would be like scattered sheep who had lost their shepherd. And then he said, after everything was over, he was going to go ahead of us and we were supposed to meet him in Galilee. I was hurt by what he said about all of us letting him down, and I was completely confused. So I blurted out, even if everybody else fails you, I never will. Jesus stopped walking, and he turned to me. He had a painfully sad look on his face, and he said, I'm telling you the truth. Before this night is over, before the rooster crows, you will deny even knowing me three times. I was crushed by that. I wanted to reassure him, or maybe I wanted to reassure myself. So I said, I will die with you before I will ever deny you. And all the other guys said the same thing. But Jesus looked at all of us, and then he shook his head, and we all started walking again. After he had gone off by himself in the garden, we all got really tired and sleepy. It was like we'd had too much wine to drink. But we hadn't had any wine except for the Seder cup, which certainly was enough to put all of us to sleep. Nonetheless, we all fell asleep while he was off praying. I'm not sure how long we'd been sleeping when he came back and woke us up. He sounded annoyed and said we ought to be able to stay awake and watch with him for at least an hour. And then he said something about the spirit being willing but the flesh being weak, and he left. The next thing I knew, he was waking us up again. And now he said it was time for the Son of Man to be delivered into the hands of sinners. He told us to get up and get going because his betrayer was coming. That's when I saw Judas. There was a big group of temple guards and other men carrying swords and clubs following him. I had a bad feeling about this, but before I could say or do anything, Judas came up to Jesus and said, Rabbi, and then he kissed him. Jesus looked Judas straight in the eye and said, Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? Get it over with. I couldn't stand by any longer, so as soon as the first man moved to grab Jesus, I drew out my sword and cut off his ear. I found out later that he was one of the servants of the high priest. But Jesus yelled, Stop it! Anybody who lives by the sword dies by it. If I wanted to fight, 
I would call down an army of angels, but fighting is not going to happen tonight. Tonight, the writings of the prophets are going to be fulfilled. Tonight, darkness is in charge. Then the temple guards grabbed him, and we all just ran away. I hadn't gotten very far when I stopped and thought about going back. Part of me wanted to find Judas and cut his throat. But I knew that doing that would go against everything Jesus had taught us. And it wouldn't accomplish anything, including making me feel better. So instead, I decided to follow the crowd that had taken him and see what they were going to do. I followed them to the house of Caiaphas the high priest, where he had set up a kangaroo court in the middle of the night to convict Jesus of some kind of crime. He had witnesses come forward and accuse him of all kinds of things, but none of them could get their stories straight. And it was almost comical to watch them making up these crazy false accusations and then screwing up the stories they were telling while they were trying to tell them. I was sitting in a crowd that was in the courtyard outside the house watching when this servant girl came up to me and said, You're one of them. I saw you with him. I saw you with Jesus of Galilee. I panicked and thought that I would be grabbed next, so I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know him. I quickly got up from the crowd and started toward the gate. I'd only gone a few steps when another servant girl pointed at me and yelled, This guy was with that Jesus of Nazareth in there. Now I was really panicking, so I yelled out, I don't know the man. I don't know him at all. Before I could make it to the gate, two men blocked my way, and one of them said, Who are you trying to fool? You're one of them. You've got a Galilean accent, and that gives you away. I started cursing at them, and I yelled, I don't know that man, I have never known that man, and I don't even want to know that man. Just then, I heard a rooster crow, and what Jesus had said on our walk toward Gethsemane came flooding back into my mind. I turned around and looked toward where he was standing in the house, and the last image I have of Jesus is him looking straight into my eyes, while the priests and politicians were punching, slapping, and spitting on him. I have never felt such self-loathing or cried as hard in my life as I did that night. Finally, I made my way back to where the other part of our group of disciples was staying, and I told them about how terribly I had failed Jesus when he needed me most. They listened quietly, and they tried to be supportive. And then they told me Judas had hanged himself earlier that night. I'd like to say I felt bad about that, but I didn't. And that's where my experience of that horrible Friday ends. I wish I could tell you I had the courage to at least be with him at the cross and offer some support and love as he was suffering and dying. But I, like my friends who call ourselves disciples, was too afraid to even go out where people might recognize me. Except for the one that Jesus called the beloved disciple, only the women Mary Magdalene, Mary Clopas, and his mother had the courage to stand by him as he breathed his last breath. I was. We all were cowards. Oh, now, now, Peter, you're being far too hard on yourself, I think. It wasn't that you didn't care about him. If there was something you could have done to change things, it could have been different. But, like, about none of us could have changed one thing about what those cold-blooded murderers did to him. And it would not have helped Anything if you and the others had been arrested and maybe even killed along with him. 
We women were safe because those stupid priests and pompous Romans didn't take us seriously. They were sure we were no threat to them so we could go where we pleased. And the beloved disciple, ah, oh, he was such a nice boy. So none of them saw him as a threat either. We were there because we could be. And if you had decided to be there too, you might have been hanging on one of those crosses right next to him instead of those thieves. He had much more important work for you to do. Mary, I know you're right. But I always thought I was stronger and had more courage than I showed that night. I know he forgave me, but I still have never been able to forgive myself for failing him. Oh, Peter, you are such a man, and sometimes you are as dense as a rock. Did you ever really listen to the things he said? It is by accepting our weakness that we find the strength of God in us. And that is the source of true courage. Well said, Mary Clopas. Would you be willing to continue the story where Mary Magdalene left off and take us to his death on that day? Of course I would be happy to. As Mary Magdalene said, the soldiers took Jesus into the fortress and we didn't see him or have any idea what was going on for about an hour or more. Caiaphas and the other priests were there. The crowd was there and everyone was milling around waiting for something, anything to happen. Then that Governor Pilate came back out, followed by his soldiers leading our poor Jesus. He had been terribly beaten by them, and they had put a purple robe on his shoulders and pushed a cruel crown made of thorns down on his head. He was bleeding all over and could hardly stand up. His poor mother gave out such a gasp of pain and grief that I thought she was going to pass out. Then that schmuck governor had the soldiers push Jesus out in front of the crowd and he said, here is your king. He's pathetic and he has not committed any crime. The crowd started screaming, crucify him, crucify him over and over again. Pilate shouted over them, crucify him yourselves. I won't do it. That is when that yachts Caiaphas, who calls himself a priest, quieted the crowd and said to the governor in a loud voice, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Well, everyone got deathly quiet. Caiaphas went on. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar and Rome, and anyone who helps him opposes them as well. Well, Pilate looked shocked and didn't say anything. He walked over and sat down on the judgment seat. The crowd started to chant again, 
Crucify him! Crucify him! We have no king but Caesar! Pilate called over one of his soldiers and they stripped off the purple robe from Jesus and oh, his back was completely covered with lash marks and blood. They put his own clothes back on him, but they left the thorn crown on his head. And then they took him away to be crucified. His poor mother, she was broken-hearted, so lost, so helpless. We just held each other and wept. Then we walked to the hill where we knew he would die. Mary Clopas, I know it must be very difficult for you to tell us what you saw and experienced that day, but we thank you so much for helping us to grasp a little of the reality as we try to understand what this story really means. Mary Magdalene, could you finish the events of that day for us? Mike, I can, but I would rather not talk so much about the horrible physical things he experienced. I'd rather tell you and your listeners what those last hours were like for those of us who stood watching as he suffered and died. Mary, that would be welcome. Please tell us what you believe are the most important parts of this story. Thank you. Mary Clopas, Mary, his mother, the beloved disciple, and I arrived at Golgotha, where the Romans generally performed their crucifixions shortly after Jesus had been nailed to the cross. In your language, Golgotha means the skull. It was named that because as you are coming toward the city from the west, the rocks look like a skull on the mountainside. The Romans used that spot because as most people came into Jerusalem, they had to pass by where criminals were crucified and be brutally reminded of just how useless and dangerous it was to try and oppose them. There were two other men being crucified on either side of Jesus and the signs attached to their crosses said they were thieves. The one on Jesus' cross read, The King of the Jews. We thought that maybe, except for the soldiers, we would be the only ones there to be with him, but we weren't. Caiaphas and several of his henchmen, along with a few of the men from the crowd outside of the praetorium, were there as well. They were jeering at him and taunting at him, as he hung there in pain and gasping for breath. I wanted to scream at them and drive them away from him like Jesus had driven the money changers out of the temple. But I knew that even my most holy wrath would be no match for them and the Roman soldiers standing guard. So I did what women so often have to do, and I held my tongue, my anger, and my righteous indignation in check. We watched and waited for almost three hours as he got weaker and weaker. 
He said a few things during that time. He told the beloved disciple to take care of his mother, and he recited a part of one of the Psalms about being forsaken by God. He said something to one of the thieves on the cross beside him, but I couldn't really hear what he said. Then he said he was thirsty. Finally, he quietly said that it was all finished. And then he breathed his last breath. We were about to cry and scream out with our grief, but the sky suddenly went dark like the sun had been swallowed up. The ground started to shake, and it was like the whole creation was crying and screaming the same kind of grief that we felt. I heard later that the temple and the parts of the city had been damaged. Some people even said that graves had opened up and people who had died walked through the city. It was like God's heart was as broken as our hearts were. I even heard one of the Roman soldiers say that Jesus must have been the son of a God. If only he knew how right he was. The last thing that happened was that a man named Joseph from the town of Arimathea came with some other men to take Jesus' body off the cross and lay it in a new tomb not far from Golgotha. Since it was the Passover festival, he wanted to bury Jesus before the festival began at sundown. I learned later that Joseph was a wealthy and influential man in Jerusalem who had met and secretly become a follower of Jesus. Mary Clophis, Mary his mother, and I followed them to see where the tomb was so that we could prepare his body with spices and do the proper burial customs for him. We knew that we would have to wait until after the festival was over, which would not be until Sunday at sunrise. So we watched carefully where the tomb was, and we planned to meet there early in the morning on Sunday. And for me, that is where the worst part of this story ends. But it is far from the end of the whole story. Thank you, Mary, for bringing us to the end of this terrible episode in the story of Jesus. As you said, this is not the end of the whole story. There is the best and most important episode yet to come. So stay tuned for the best and final episode in the deranged story of Jesus series. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening.